hearts, our ears, and our hearing, so that what is said this morning, what is heard this morning, is in accordance to the word of God, for the good of God's people, and for your glory, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come and do your work in us through your word preached and proclaimed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a few weeks ago, we started a sermon series called Phaseology, which is a series, an extended series, over the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I'd like to bring our first movement of Phaseology to a conclusion. The last few weeks, we've been focusing on and dealing with aspects of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament and from the big picture of Scripture, offering what I consider to be cornerstones, foundational elements for what is to follow. Back on August 4th, as we began this sermon series, we laid that first cornerstone. There is one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that sermon, we talked about the triune personality of God focusing on the Spirit. And then on August 11th, we laid our second cornerstone. We talked about the Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life, that phrase from the Nicene Creed. We talked about the Holy Spirit being the generator and the regenerator, the giver of new life in Jesus Christ. This past week, on uh, August 18th, we talked about the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures, what we have in the Bible being the true story of the world, of time and history. And this week, as we lay our fourth cornerstone, we talk about, we will talk about the Holy Spirit who is active and present in the people of God in the Old Testament, also being the promised gift of God the promise that is kept through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we heard the scriptures read, we're going to work our way from Numbers chapter 11 to Joel chapter 2 into Mark chapter 1 and a little bit of Acts chapter 2. I know it's a lot of work this morning, right? Are you ready? Have you packed your lunch, Martin? Not yet. What we see in the Old Testament is really simple to summarize. When it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, we see in the Old Testament that God sends his Holy Spirit upon specific individuals at specific times for specific ministries, specific purposes. And Numbers chapter 11 is a wonderful illustration, a picture of God's practice. At this point in the biblical story, Numbers chapter 11, God has already rescued his people, Israel, out of Egypt. God has already brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai, where he spoke to them through Moses. He's already given them his law. And by this time in Numbers chapter 11, by this time in the life of Israel, the tabernacle had actually already been constructed. It's already been consecrated. They were worshiping God in the tabernacle, and they've even celebrated Passover in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. They weren't to their true home yet. But God was in their midst doing marvelous things, providing bread from heaven, providing water from rocks. But Numbers chapter 11 begins with the people complaining in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. 
as number chapter, Numbers 11 explains, uh, the people complained about their misfortunes, which they considered to be the food that God had provided. They'd been eating manna for quite a while now, and quite frankly, they were tired of it. They longed to taste the fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, and the meat of Egypt, their land of slavery. The people grumbled to one another. They complained to Moses. And Numbers chapter 11 tells us that Moses was up to his eyeballs. He'd come to the end of his rope. He was tired of it. He even goes to God. Numbers chapter 11 tells us Moses cries out to God and he says, I am not able to carry all these people alone. This burden is too heavy for me. He says to God, if you're going to treat me like this, just kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Moses' chief complaint here is that he's alone to deal with the grumbling pettiness of the people. And he says to God, I would rather be dead than deal with these people anymore. <laughs> That's actually in verse 14, if you don't believe it. <laughs> God's response, though, God's response is very instructive to us. God said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them. And bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Verse 17, and I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it alone. Jumping to Numbers chapter 11 verse 24, this is what we see happen. Moses gathers the men as the Lord had said. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue to do so. This true story from the life of Israel gives us an illustration. It gives us a view of how the Holy Spirit operated in the life of Israel under the Old Covenant, what we would say the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit has always been active. It has always been present in God's creation. He's always been active and present within time and history. He's always been working within God's people. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was at work with what we would call a limited scope. He comes to equip and empower specific people at specific times for specific ministries. Numbers chapter 11 is the 70 elders who are gifted with the Holy Spirit to be able to share Moses' burden as leaders. And they received the Spirit and they prophesied for a short period as sort of evidence of that reception. As the Old Testament narrative tells us, as the story of Israel is sort of lived out and recorded, we see that pattern Repeated, this, this paradigm of specific people receiving the Holy Spirit at a specific time for a specific ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired, the Word of God tells us, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the creative talents of uh, Bezalel and Aholiab as general contractors of the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the leadership of Joshua, who inspired the leadership of David. The Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit inspired prophets like Jeremiah and Elijah. And so what we see in the Old Testament is this absolute activity of the Holy Spirit, but in a limited scope of specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. 
But this is not the way it's always going to be. I want to take you back to Numbers chapter 11 this morning. It's starting at verse 26. We read that two men, Eldad and Medad, were not with the 70 elders at the tabernacle when the Lord came down in the cloud. And yet, even though they weren't at the tabernacle, we read that the Holy Spirit rested on them in verse 26. And the Holy Spirit rested on them, and they too began to prophesy in the camp. And word got back to Moses. Joshua actually urges Moses, hey, go in there and stop them. Go use your staff to turn into a snake and just wallop them upside the head and get them to stop prophesying. But notice what Moses says in verse 29. Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses recognized, apparently, this limited scope of the Holy Spirit's work, and he desired more. The very thing that Moses desires, that all of God's people would receive the Holy Spirit, is the very thing that God intends, the very thing that God promises. Now let's, let's recognize something here. Let's be very clear here. Moses' desire for a universal, for the Spirit to be poured out upon all of God's people, doesn't change God's heart, his mind, or his intentions. No, Moses is actually speaking out what God's intentions had always been, because God is God. Moses, when he uttered his desire to Joshua that all the God's people would receive the Spirit, God had already planned, God had already determined to promise the Holy Spirit and then to effect the giving of that Holy Spirit through Jesus. And so Moses, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, he is acting as a prophet. He's foretelling and he's foretelling. He's saying better than he really knows, I think, when he says, would that all people, would that the Spirit would be on all of God's people. He's saying better than he knew. He's anticipating God's promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we progress in God's story with Israel, we find that Moses' desire, Moses' prayer, if we can call it that, is the promise of God. Over the course of the life of Israel and in the ministry of the prophets, God began to explicitly tell his people that a new day was coming. God began to explicitly tell his people that a new era was coming in which the Holy Spirit would be poured out just as Moses desired, would be poured out upon all of God's people. No longer in that new day, no longer in that new era, would the scope of the Spirit's work be limited. But at that time, in that day, the Spirit's work would become universal for all who believed, for all of God's people. Perhaps Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 are the most famous verses proclaiming this promise, but they're not the only ones in the Old Testament. There are significant statements and allusions to this promise of the Holy Spirit in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, and in Ezekiel, just to name a few. But we read in Joel 2 that it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. God, through the prophets, declares here that a time was coming in which his spirit would be at work within all of his people. Moses' desire is God's promise. 
this Holy Spirit will be poured out at that time which was coming in which men and women, old folks and young folks would have intimate relationship with the Father through the Spirit. Like a prophet, they would be connected with the indwelling presence of the Spirit, receiving intimate communication from God himself. That there would be at that time a relationship and communication that Moses enjoyed with God for all people. Why? Because of the Spirit, God's promise, which happens to be Moses' desire. This promise of God is kept, is absolutely kept. God keeps his promises. And this promise of God, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this promise is kept by the work and person of Jesus Christ. In the centuries before Jesus' birth, some Jewish teachers began to understand God's promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the light of the Messiah, this special agent of redemption. It was thought that that new day that was coming that God promised would be that day, that era of the Messiah. And as the Messiah came, he would bring and pour out the Holy Spirit. This is clearly what John the Baptist understood about Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is clearly what Jesus understood about himself. In the gospel according to St. John, in chapter 7, we read that Jesus stood up in Jerusalem on a great day of the feast, and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John, the gospel author, explains, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But after Jesus was glorified upon the cross through his resurrection and then in the ascension, God kept his promise. The spirit was poured out. The gift was given. God's promise, Moses' desire, is kept by Jesus. All scripture is focused on Christ. Author Sinclair Ferguson put like this, the entire Old Testament revelation has a not yet written over it as it looks forward to its goal in Christ. Moses' desire that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all of God's people has not yet stamped over it until Jesus comes. But in Jesus, Moses' desire is fulfilled. The promises of Joel chapter 2, the promises about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they have not yet over them until Jesus emerges out of the wilderness and begins his work. And now they have, because of Christ, fulfilled, kept, promise, kept, stamped over them. Because when Jesus emerged in the wilderness, when he began his public ministry, the fulfillment of God's promises began. As one commentator put it, with Jesus, the day of the Spirit had finally dawned. God's promise, Moses' desire, kept in Jesus. Listen to what St. Peter proclaimed on the day of the Spirit's coming, that day of Pentecost. After proclaiming the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy and the events of that day, St. Peter states, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He, that's Jesus, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
And nearing the end of his sermon, Peter tells this huge crowd on the day of Pentecost the only true course of action. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, Peter says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Moses desired for all of God's people to receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Moses desired for all of God's people to have that intimate relationship, that relationship of a prophet with God. This is God's very promise. And this promise, God's kept, God has kept it, and God continues to keep it in, through, and by Jesus. And so this morning, I, by way of application, I'd like for us to consider two relatively simple points. First, we need to understand the universal scope of the promise that is kept. And what I mean, mean by this is that we simply need to recognize that all who believe in Jesus have received the Holy Spirit. There's not room for classes of distinction within Christianity where there are believers who have the Spirit and some lower class believers who don't have the Spirit because all who believe in Jesus, the promises of God, all who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. There's no distinction. There is no limit. This is perhaps the biggest shift from the operation of the Spirit under the Old Covenant to the New. Where once only specific individuals at specific times and for specific ministries received the Holy Spirit, now all who are in Christ receive the abiding and present indwelling of the Spirit. Moses' desire, God's promise, Jesus keeps. For everyone who believes. This is what John Stott calls the birthright of all of God's children. It's for men and it's for women. It's for young and it's for old. And praise the Lord, it's even for us bacon-loving Gentiles. <laughs> the gift of the Holy Spirit is for those of every economic and educational status. It is for those of every race. We have to get this into our minds. We must get this into our hearts of faith. All who receive the divine call, to use Peter's words, all that God calls to himself through Jesus, all inherit the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And so if you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you too are the recipient of God's promise. You too are a part of the promise that he has kept and keeps. You too have received the Spirit. And so here's the single most significant question you will ever be asked to answer. Have you submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord? Have you trusted in him as Savior? Only in Jesus, Scripture tells us, only in Jesus can we be forgiven. Only in Jesus can we receive the fullness of what God desires to give. Only in Jesus can we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that brings us into absolute intimate connection with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's our second question, our second point of application this morning. The Holy Spirit brings us into intimate relationship to the Father through the Son. We are brought into the very life of the Trinity in an intimate way, in a full way, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is because of the indwelling and testifying work of the Spirit that we can know ourselves as we truly are in Jesus Christ, forgiven, beloved, sons and daughters, 
loved by the Father. And think about that relationship that Moses had with God. He was so intimately connected with God that Moses could literally say, I would rather be dead and I want you to kill me than deal with these people anymore. You think about the relationship that, that, that David had with God or that Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, that they had with God because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can have that same intimate relationship with the Father, being loved by Him, being known by Him, and knowing Him. You think about that relationship that Jesus had with the Father. We can have that because of the Spirit. And you know what? God wants us to have that intimate relationship with Him as Father. Joel proclaims that when the Spirit is poured out, all who receive Him would be brought into that deep, lasting connection that only prophets knew. This level of connection is available to all who believe in Jesus because of Jesus. How can we come to terms with this? How can we even understand this grace? Over the next several weeks, we are going to explore various aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But today, let's allow this to work into our hearts, into our minds. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The promise of God is intimate relationship with Him in Jesus through the Spirit. Moses' desire is God's promise. Jesus keeps it. God keeps his promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might know him, be known by him as Father. This morning, we're going to continue our worship with song, and I invite you, respond to God. I invite you to approach this morning one of our three prayer teams during our worship time. Anna and I will be stationed up over here and uh, Jeff, and Cressy, uh, Jeff and Kathleen will be in the back of the sanctuary, and Sally and David will be up here over in the front next to our 3 for 30. This morning, while we worship through song, if you don't have to come and make a prayer request. As we worship in song, we are simply going to pray for the Holy Spirit, the promised gift of God for all who believe, to make known to you the love of the Father, the intimate fondness that He has for you in Jesus the Son. This morning, as we worship in song, we're simply going to pray that you would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be filled with His Holy Spirit, that you could be intimately connected with Him, just like a prophet, like David, like Elijah, like Jesus Himself. This is our fourth cornerstone this morning as we continue and conclude this particular movement of our sermon series. The Holy Spirit is the promised gift of God given in Jesus. God makes promises. He keeps those promises that he makes. And so come and turn to Jesus. Come and receive the promise of God, this promise that is kept. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we do praise you and give you thanks. What a promise maker you are and what a promise keeper you are. And so we pray that your spirit would come and testify to our hearts and our minds as we worship you through song, that we are beloved by you. Holy Spirit, come and share with us the love of the Father. Come and convict us of our need for Jesus and share with us God's love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. <coughs>